So Nina has a date on Friday. <laughs> I have a date on and Friday. And she's got a huge pimple on her neck. It's so Why don't gross. you tell the people? I, okay, I woke up this morning. And I was like, what's this bump on the right side of my neck near my collarbone? Is it a goiter? Well, I didn't know what it was, and I thought it was a pimple. And so then I tried to pop it, and it wouldn't pop. So then I was like, maybe it's a bug bite. And then I made Kashan look at it, and he said that it's an under-the-skin pimple, which I never even heard of before. And now I'm I'm terrified. You're not going to die. From that. I'm not afraid of dying. You I'm will afraid die of having a scar. And it being really ugly. Like, I don't no know if I want to unpack that. Me. Why would anyone want to kiss me with, if I have a growth on my neck? He'll kiss the other side of the neck. It's fine. Ugh. You got you got two neck sides. I do. All right? You'll be, you'll be fine. And it hurts. Sorry. But I will say it's not a goiter. What's a goiter? Have you been eating salt? No. Um... I mean, like, I'm sure I I had some salt the other yeah. day. Yeah, so goiters are caused by iodine deficiencies. It's like a big inflamed um, lump Wait. on your neck. What if that's it? It's not that. Trust me. Let me look it up. That goiter. looks nothing like a goiter. It's G-O-I-T-E-R. Spelled it right. Oh, gross. It's not that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not that. Because it's caused by an iodine deficiency, which is why they added iodine to salt. That's why you have iodinized salt. Ew, Fun fact. Look at it. Yeah, it's gross. I don't want that ever. Most medical anomalies are gross. Which, speaking of medical anomalies. Yes, speaking of that. Uh, we are diving in to a subject today. Uh, mm-hmm. First off, welcome to White Collars, Red Hands. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, let me introduce myself. My name is Kishan Bacheldor. And I am Nina Kern. And we... Oh, and my pimple oh. should probably also introduce itself <laughs> as the third person in this podcast because it's so big. Hey, my name's Jif. I have a pimple on your neck. And if you're just joining us here for the first time, we cover crimes committed by the wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, today's crime, maybe not a crime punishable in court, although there is some courtrooms at the end of the story. Yes. Um, but it's more of a moral failing. And mm-hmm. more than anything, this is a topic... Our first topic that was recommended to us by a listener. Yes. So, Steve from Ohio, thank you so much for listening. Not and thank my dad, you. Steve. Not Nina's dad, Steve. I'm hoping. Uh, <laughs> not Nina's dad, Steve. Uh, thank you for submitting this to us. We're really happy to go over a uh, fan-submitted request for the first time here on White Colors Red Hands. If you have your own suggestions, please go ahead and send them over to our email at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. Yes, we would love to cover a topic that you want us to cover. Yeah, also... It's fun, though. It's hard picking stuff, so it's kind of good yeah, when people tell yeah, you Yeah, because if you, you Google white-collar crimes, we've already done all the ones that pop up in the first five. <laughs> Great. Don't tell people our secrets. Damn it. Um, so I wrote a little preface for today. Um, so <clears throat> picture this. It's August 1954. Just a couple of years after poliomyelitis, commonly referred to as polio, had a record outbreak in the U.S., infecting 57,000 people and killing 3,145. A scientist for the National Institute of Health, or the NIH, named Bernice Eddy, was running tests on a recently created vaccine for polio. Developed by a man named Jonas Salk, who was heralded as a hero by the public, a savior at a time when polio was ranked as the second most feared thing by Americans. Second to what? Only the newfound terror of the atomic bomb. Bernice Eddy was testing a batch of the vaccine in production from Cutter Laboratories in Berkeley, California, when she realized that after inoculation, a test monkey 
developed the exact disease the vaccine planned to prevent, and she knew something was terribly wrong. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Appropriate. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to be talking about a botched vaccine. Oh. Um, it's a it's a little topical, and we're going to yes. touch on that at the end. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get through all of this. We want you guys to enjoy this story with us, and then we'll kind of related to what's going on because obviously I know all of you are uh, screaming things at your uh, headphones or smart speakers right now as yes. we're mentioning the subject yes. of vaccines. So as you guys probably know, uh, I have a background in biology. I have a degree in biology. I am by no means a doctor or a researcher or an epidemiologist or any of that, but I do have a little background, at least an undergrad level background in some of these uh, some of these terms. And I wanted to share with you guys how vaccines became a thing in the first place, because I think to get to the end of this, we're going to need to know a bit about vaccines as a whole, how they came about and how biological concepts have adapted from a long time ago to now to include vaccines. Yes. So uh, the first widely used vaccine was for smallpox. Uh, We probably know smallpox as the disease that Christopher Columbus gave the Americans when he landed here. Thanks, guys. So (laughs) so uh, and they, you know, After a while, they decided maybe we should try to fix it. Uh, Mm. But it wasn't until 1796 when a man named Edward Jenner, no relation to the other Jenners. Isn't that how they? uh, No, that's how they have their money. That is not true. Yeah, that's how Kendall and Kylie are so so rich is because of the smallpox vaccine. All that smallpox vaccine money is really coming in from 200 years ago. Yeah. Dope. Yeah, they put it in their asses. That's why they're so big. No, they put silicone in there. Yeah. I want to know what that feels like to sit down on silicone. It's probably like sitting down on a butt, but bigger. Do you remember those um, clear plastic chairs from the early 2000s? No. Damn it. There was these giant, big, clear plastic chairs, and I have one in my bedroom, and they were so uncomfortable, and I just think that's what sitting on silicone has to feel like. Well, you get $15,000, and you can find out. Okay, Nina? No, I'm good. All right. So the first uh, vaccine was for smallpox, Edward Jenner. Um, He noticed that cow maids who were exposed to cowpox, which is a very similar uh, virus that infects cows. Yeah, I never knew about the cowpox. Yeah, so uh, those cow maids that would take care of them were immune to smallpox. They could get exposed to smallpox. They were actually the ones that would usually get contracted to take care of smallpox patients because no one understood why it happened. They were like, God damn it, I just want to take care of these cows. No, you're going to take care of my son. He got the smallpox and I'm not going to go near him. I don't want to die. You know, uh, no one knew why, but they knew that it worked. So Jenner kind of making this connection took this is really gross, but bear with me. He took the pus. pus. Yeah, I know. Uh, from the lesions on a cow infected with cowpox and he inoculated with just as a fun word for saying he put inside uh, that into a person. And then expose that person after a little bit to smallpox. And guess what? They didn't get smallpox. That is so gross. Yes. My stomach hurts. Um, so, Your story made my stomach hurt. I really actually feel nauseous. Man, that is the beginning. So just, I don't feel good. Just wait. Uh, so cowpox can't cause a disease in humans. Uh, the virus only affects cows but it's close enough to have an immune response in humans without causing a sickness that creates an immunity to smallpox because the viruses are so close it's kind of cool and this is a very rudimentary 
form of a vaccine. Just the fact that we artificially create an immune response in people to help the disease from infecting them later without hurting them now. I don't like it. And many people in the late 1800s, so about 100 years after this, still didn't know how this worked. They just knew it did. They were just like, yeah, it works. And they didn't actually believe in something that we take for granted now called the germ theory of disease. Oh, God, yeah. Which is literally that little tiny things cause us to be sick, which honestly, you go back to the 1600s and I'm like a fucking cheesemaker in the 1600s and you tell me like, I, you know, Jimmy got sick the other day. What if you think it's because small little things that we can't see get inside his mouth? No. I'd probably burn you no. as a witch. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. So, no, I feel like I feel like it is because I it's, feel like you're stupid and you should be making this cheese. Well, we believe in ghosts and we can't see ghosts, so maybe it's something small we can't see to make Jimmy sick, huh? Off with your head. All right, and then he gets yeah. killed. Then he gets um, killed. <laughs> so that wasn't widely accepted, but they did accept something called the miasma theory, which literally they thought there was something gross in air. Like there are these gross, bad thing that like air, it's bad that makes you sick when you like breathe it in. Yeah. Well, I don't remember who came up with the theory, but remember they used to think that flies came from meat. Yes. So I think I, I don't know if I told you the story because I love this story. It's the spontaneous generation theory, which is from the same thing. They think that life they thought or, you know, there's no one touting spontaneous generation anymore. But uh, they thought that there was something in air that when it like touched meat, then it would like it out. would like make maggots. Yeah. Just well, I mean, like, but like they didn't know any better, so it, I mean, it kind of checks out. I mean, I get it, but it's obviously 100 percent false because Louis Pasteur, a mm-hmm. Frenchman, which you might know for his various accolades in the scientific community, um, came out and he disproved the spontaneous generation theory and the miasma theory because he took a swan neck flask. It's like a bulbous flask with a really long neck that's kind of shaped like a gooseneck, like it bends down and comes back up and has an opening at the end. Right. And he would fill it with a a, a broth that would like grow bacteria, like a growth broth. It's just filled with a bunch of nutrients, basically. And he would boil it to kill anything that's in it and then leave it there. And when he boiled it, water would condense in the little bend of the neck. Right. Which would catch dust and other particles as they come in, but it would allow it to be open to fresh air. And Ah. the idea was that it was in the air, not the particles. It was in the air, whatever made life and whatever made sickness. That makes sense. That makes sense. And he would show, like, nothing grows in it after I boil it. It's exposed to air. Nothing, Nothing grows, but then he'd break the top off. And then it would grow, and you'd be like, see, it's it's something else. Right. And I'm so glad I didn't live back then. Oh, my God. This is definitely like, this isn't that long ago either. I mean, this is 140 years at this point. Yeah. That they did this. Like, they didn't think that, like, bacteria caused disease, and now we have, like, antibiotics and really strict germ theory. It's just very interesting that we've come so far. Uh, but... Pasteur and his newfound ideas on germ theory, he took this and he started trying to use it and the knowledge of Jenner's smallpox vaccination from 100 years previous about this time. And he wanted to create a rabies vaccine because rabies was something that was got sweeping the nation. Rabies yeah. was a death sentence. If you got bit by a rabid dog, you are You're dead. done. And it affected a lot of people. It spreads really quickly. That's why that kid had to kill old Yeller. Did old Yeller get rabies in that? He, get, he got bit by a raccoon. Oh, shit. I and didn't then, know that. 
Um, I think he's. I think at the end he's like foaming, oh. and then the kid shoots him. It's also in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. There's a rabid dog that he goes out and he shoots in the street, mm. which I don't is just that part. kind of a thing of the times. That was just a common thing. Like, well, yeah, you had to. Entire towns would shut down because there's a rabid dog because. You know, you'll fuck it. You get bit by that thing, you're dead. And they, you know, rabies makes makes animals very violent. Yeah, so they yeah will, they'll charge you. They will attack you. So what he did is he was taking spinal fluid from rabbits that had recently died from rabies. And he was trying to make it le- like less virulent or less dangerous to put into someone. And they were leaving it out, drying it for like five to 10 days after they removed the like the spinal fluid. fluid. Yeah. So rabies affects the central nervous system. Right. So it literally, the virus is in your spinal column. Yeah. So they would pull it out of there to get the actual virus. But then they dry it. And then they would dry it, which they were basically making something called an attenuated vaccine. And this is a little blurb I have. An attenuated vaccine is a vaccine where the virus or to a lesser extent bacteria is still live, but it's been made less virulent or completely harmless by some means. So in this case, they were drying it and drying out the uh, the viral particles made it less likely to, to make catch. you sick. OK, basically. Um, that being said, though, they did not run any tests on this vaccine. Also, Louis Pasteur, not a medical doctor. Never was. He was like a microbiologist, but he was never a medical doctor. Uh, And just one day, people kind of knew what he was doing. And a young boy got bitten by a rabid dog. And the boy was going to die anyway, basically. Yeah, he's going to die anyway. Fuck it. Let's try it. No one fucking survives rabies. So they brought the boy to Pasteur and they were like, hey, this boy got bit by a dog. And he did take his rabies vaccine. He saved the boy's life, actually, by injecting him with 13 shots over like the course of a week. And he lived. He was like hella protected against rabies. Yeah. Uh, Now, even now, if you get bit. You're in trouble. So you can still get the. You can still get the vaccine after you get bit by something with rabies. Mm-hmm. It's one of the only things you can because the incubation period is like a month or longer. Oh, I didn't know that. For rabies. So you can actually get vaccinated after exposure, but you still get five shots over the course of two weeks now, which not recommended. Don't go out and get bit by like a bat or something because I had a friend a who raccoon. did it. What? I had a friend who they got bit by a bat in Arizona and they had to go get a rabies vaccine basically because bats are common carriers of rabies. And they said How it was like getting get injected with peanut butter. Wait, what? They said it was like getting injected with peanut oh, butter. It felt yeah. like thick when they got injected. Yeah, they, I heard not, that in your butt. It was not fun is what they said. Wait, how did they get bit by a bat? Uh, so like the bat will fly at you and open its mouth and then close its mouth around a no, part of you like, to bite was... you to bite you. So he was just chilling and a bat flew at him? There are just bats inside sometimes in Arizona. I've never, I don't, what? Yeah. We would get. They bats. can get inside. It's like a bird, but it's well, a bat. Well, I know that, but I thought he was like going to try to pick it up or something. No, I don't think he was fucking with bats. the bat. I think it was just like he walked and he disturbed it and fucking attacked him and you know bit him. Because we would get bats sometimes that would hang on the side of my parents' house, but I never touched it. I don't think they were trying to touch the bat. The bat just bit them. Because I know somebody who had to go get rabies shots because they were fucking with a raccoon, but they were like 
trying to pick up the wild raccoon. Yeah, that's a stupid thing to do. Don't go. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you need this disclaimer, then okay. But don't go pick up wild raccoons. No. Any wildlife, don't touch it. Yeah, just leave it the fuck alone. It doesn't want to, it doesn't want to cuddle you. Trust no, me. None of them. Um, Not a one. So Louis Pasteur's uh, vaccine actually very similar to the one we have today. We didn't change it much. And he made this 140 years ago. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Louis Pasteur did. If you want to look into his scientific uh, accolades, he has a lot of them. He was a big player in science, especially uh, microbiology at this time. Uh, pasteurization, if you ever see that like milk is pasteurized. It's after him? Yeah. So I the, didn't know that. That uh, experiment where he boiled the broth uh-huh. and then like sealed it. Uh-huh. That's basically what pasteurization is. You like, you heat it uh-huh. and then you seal it from the air and then it, it won't grow any bacteria. I didn't know that. Uh, at least for a long time. So then a guy named Robert Koch came along and he finally solidified the germ theory. Uh, he is actually accredited with popularizing the germ theory in the 1880s by showing that he could take a microorganism from a diseased organism, Mm -hmm. pull it out, put it into a healthy one, and then they would get sick with it. Ah. So it basically definitively showed that microorganisms are the cause of disease. Look at that. And speaking of disease, we're going to be talking about a specific one today. As we already mentioned, it's polio. Now, Polio has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, When I was researching some of these, it turns out a lot of them have been around for a long time. Smallpox, there were depictions of smallpox from like thousands and thousands of years ago. And there was a picture of someone suffering from polio all the way back from uh, a painting from ancient Egypt, like circa 1000 BCE or something. Can you imagine like... Back at that time, you didn't get your picture taken. You probably didn't get, like, anybody drawing you very often. And the one thing you get drawn of is you have polio. It's like, hey, hey, noodle leg, get over here. I want to take a picture of you. I want to draw you. That's what it was. We just had one kind of, like, smaller leg that that showed there's, like, a when the muscles on one side go out, but, like, the back of your leg don't, it causes, like, a... I forget what it was called, but it basically translated to, like, elephant leg, where, like, your knee bows backwards... Because, like, it's being pulled on the back but not the yeah. front kind of thing. I know. And he had that. Yeah, so. I know somebody who has polio, and that's how her leg is. Yeah, it was a very common symptom of polio. She's actually a very incredible individual. She's a, she's a model and a, uh actor here in Chicago. Her name's Raji Airy. You should go uh, check her out. That's fucking dope, dude. Yeah, she's Hell yeah. really cool. She's really cool. I got to interview her one time for a different project, and it was, yeah, I was like, wow, I've never met any, first of all, I've never met anybody who ever had polio, because she grew up in India, and that's yeah. how she contracted it, and she obviously didn't get vaccinated, unfortunately, but then yeah, she sucks. was uh, fortunate enough to be adopted by an American family. Now she's, like, doing shit, and it's and cool. supposedly, it's also not in India anymore, either, which is nice. It's only mm-hmm. in two countries now. It's Afghanistan and Pakistan, mm-hmm. so. Um, so, polio... Uh, is an enterovirus or a gut virus. So it actually transmits through the intestines uh, by fecal matter uh, transmitted through water or food or to a lesser extent from infected saliva. So if you're eating somebody's booty hole who has polio, who contracted polio, you can get polio? Asking the hard hitting (laughs) questions. Yes. Yeah, that's yes, exactly. Exactly. I didn't know that. Um. Yeah. So I, I mean, mean, everybody's vaccinated for polio, though. So, like, well, no, we're not. We're not vaccinated. No one takes a polio vaccine anymore. Oh shit! I forgot. Because it's eradicated. We don't take. Oh, that's right. Because it's like nowhere anymore. Oh my god! 
I can get polio. It's we'll talk about why it's not that big of a deal in like ten fucking seconds. Calm now, down. Now everybody has a reason to not eat the not eat the booty hole. There were, I mean, Giardia. Uh, there's a bunch of other. Isn't that the stuff fecal that matter you put transmitted on your Italian diseases. beef sandwich? Yes. Giardia. Yes, Giardia is what you put on an Italian beef. What is Giardia? You, go, you guys go ahead and DM Nina if you think that's wrong. All right. I don't know what Giardia is. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Giardia. That's probably not even beaver fever. You probably can't even spell Giardinero, which is what goes on Italian beef, Snina. It's just. Oh, it's it, poor for poor sanitation. Yeah. It make you sick. Beaver fever. It make you sick because poop and water. I just think it's funny it's that just it's a called beaver fever. There's a lot of diseases that transmit this way. Anyway. Through the booty hole. <sighs> Booty hole. Okay. Anyway, sometimes, I, sometimes I think I should just do this podcast with a child. <laughs> yeah, you probably should because they don't know about eating the booty hole. They might have more down to earth takes on polio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so polio. This is this is why I said maybe don't worry about it too much. It's still a very serious disease, but it doesn't kill as many people as you might think. That's good. Seventy two percent of people that contract it are asymptomatic. All fully. right. They All right. Sh- they don't so show, that means it's fine. They don't show any symptoms. But 24% also experience something called abortive poliomyelitis or abortive polio, which is a minor form of the disease that stays in the gut. So it's just a gut disease at that point. Uh, you might have like a sore throat or abdominal pain, diarrhea, stuff like that. Um, but nothing serious and it goes away in a week. It's like, so like a Pepto. It's, flu, would it's take like flu like symptoms. Yeah. But one to 5% depending on who you ask, experience something called uh, non-paralytic aseptic meningitis. So this is when the gut bacteria, which the actual mechanism of how this happens, they don't know. It moves from your gut and from your intestines into your spinal cord somehow. They don't know how it happens, so don't ask. And then you get an infection of the meninges, which is the area around your spinal cord and your brain. Um, Wait, so it's like meningitis? So meningitis, how you're referring to it, is just an infection uh-huh. of the area around your spinal cord. Right. Of the meninges. Right. And then you have to get a spinal tap. So there's a bunch of kinds of meningitis. Yeah. So this would be one. This would be polio caused non-paralytic aseptic meningitis. And when you get this, uh, it won't, it doesn't cause paralysis, uh, but will cause symptoms of like sniffness in the neck and the back and extremity pain. And it resolves itself in less than two weeks. It goes away. Nothing happens after that. But the biggest problem and the thing that we know that polio causes is 0.1 to 0.5% of people who contract polio experience paralytic polio, where the virus causes the death of motor neurons in the central nervous system and causes muscle weakness and eventual paralysis, which actually is not usually permanent. Oh, yeah. Ask FDR about that. So, yes, FDR and FDR is actually another outlier because this disease also mostly affects children. Um, And FDR contracted it when he was like 39. Was it before or after he met Eleanor? It was after. Did he get polio from eating Eleanor Roosevelt's booty No, no. Stop. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's how FDR got polio. You heard it here. Sure. You heard it here. Probably doesn't matter. No, yeah. Fuck the Great New Deal. Let's make FDR's (laughs) legacy the fact that he got the the disease that literally haunted him for his whole life from eating the booty hole of his wife. Thank you, Nina. Listen, first of all. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's just a fun fact. It's not a legacy. Fun fact. Okay. Fun fact. Uh-huh. That's how we got it. Also, fun fact. Uh, this is terrible. Actually, did you know Eleanor Roosevelt, she... Uh, she uh, quit the Daughters of the Revolution because they wouldn't let an African-American woman sing the national anthem at their event, and she quit. That's pretty cool. But what I was actually going to say is my English teacher in high school used to call Eleanor Roosevelt a two-bagger, and that means you have to put two bags on her head because she's so ugly. In case one flies off, there'd be another one. can't believe I have to follow this up with the morbidity <laughs> rates for polio. So thank you. For making the only time in, I'm assuming, history where we could talk about what a two-bagger is and then immediately follow it up with the morbidity rates for polio for a, for a serious infectious disease. Thank you, Nina, for You're your welcome. take. You're welcome. Sorry, I'm crying. So 2 to 5% of children... Yeah, it was serious. I don't know if you thought I was going to say something else besides the morbidity rate of polio, but oh two to five percent of children and ten to five <laughs> to ten to fifteen, I'm sorry, percent of adults will die from paralytic polio. <laughs> Do not laugh. Do not laugh I at that. Oh it's my god! I told you four times. It can cause paralysis of the diaphragm, making breathing impossible without the help of an external. Respirator, which we also know as the iron lung. You'll see that a lot if you look up uh, polio victims when their diaphragm becomes paralyzed and they literally, it creates a vacuum chamber uh-huh. that pulls out that causes their lungs to inflate and then like releases the, pr- and then releases the vacuum to put pressure back on to push the air back out. So it's, uh, it's externally doing the work of your diaphragm. Got it. So um, obviously, Sometimes it is permanent, though, um, yeah. or it lasts for so long. It, it says that it it can come back within, like, one to two months, but since it affects children a lot, it can also just affect the development of limbs while you – because you get, like, muscle atrophy during this time because it is a long time, and uh, whatever doesn't come back after 18 months from recovering from the infection will probably never come back. But even the people who fully recover from the muscle weakness and paralysis will almost always, over 80%, experience something called post-polio syndrome, where the symptoms of muscle weakness return 15 to 30 years after the first paralytic incident. Oh, shit. So it'll, it'll, it, it, even if you, if you get the muscle weakness, if you get to that point and recover... You're uh, going to probably have problems later. Most likely, it'll come back. Because basically what happens yeah. is you kill all the motor neurons. Okay. And then other neurons send out neural terminals, like how they... That's where they end to send their signals to the muscles to okay. do something called re-innervate, which is to make new connections with those muscles. Okay. So you can regain some movement, but they think it's like a constant... Like the infection is latent and it constantly degrades Got it. The, those neural networks for the rest of your life and 15 to 30 years later you'll show symptoms again Uh so 
this is why people in the 1950s were so afraid of this disease, you know, because well, because for good uh, reason. Yeah, obviously, it's either going to they saw a lot of children die for one. Yeah. And people are quick to write off diseases that kill the elderly because most diseases kill the elderly, uh, just to put it bluntly. That's not nice. But a disease that affects children is going to hit home more for people. Yeah, Because, you know, mothers and fathers are seeing their children die instead of yeah. just their grandparents, and which you've like, already oh, com- compartmentalized a they're little like, bit like oh, my grandparents are Oh, they're die. like, oh, shucks, I was going to cash that life insurance check, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think everyone's that bad, but okay. Um and they also, they didn't fully understand how you got it. Right. You know, this is in the 1950s. Like, I mean, penicillin had, like, just been discovered not mm-hmm. too long ago. So they don't really understand how you get diseases, and it's hard for them to determine how you get diseases. People right. were afraid to go, like, buy fruit from the marketplace, or they wouldn't go to public pools. Um, they wouldn't be around people because they just didn't know how it spread. Right. Uh, unfortunately, like, none of the stuff we do now for COVID would help this because it's no, tainted it's water dirty. supplies yeah. and stuff. So in unsanitary and conditions. So. It is at this point that uh, the previous mention, Jonas Salk, comes into the picture, and he develops a vaccine for polio. Uh, It's an inactivated vaccine that he created in 1953 by growing the virus in cell cultures of monkey kidney cells, filtering out the virus, and then inactivating it with a chemical formaldehyde. Now, an inactivated vaccine is different from an attenuated vaccine that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Okay. an inactivated vaccine is where the viral particles have been uh, killed by some means, uh, in this case, the chemical formaldehyde, leaving the antigens, which are just the chemicals that are outside, like on the uh, the outside of the virus. Basically, it has something called a viral capsule, and then it's got a bunch of things on the outside, mm-hmm. and that's how our body recognizes it and binds um, antibodies to it mm-hmm. to show like, hey, kill this, mm-hmm. you know, in our body. So what it does is it kills the virus so it's no longer an actual virus and then but it leaves that so that you can still have the immune response to it when it's injected into you so salt tested this vaccine first on himself his wife and three children without any ill ill effects all right that ballsy bitch i love stories of people that do stuff like this like the people that discovered the um the gut bacteria that cause ulcers everyone just thought it was excess Stomach acid, but it's actually often a bacteria called H. pylori. Okay. And no one fucking believed him, so he drank the bacteria, developed ulcers, and then treated himself with antibiotics and documented it all to prove that he was right. Oh, my God. He won a Nobel Prize. Yeah, he should have. Just love shit like that. So then, in 1954, they conducted a big double-blind study on over 1.8 million children, if you count the control group which was 1.2 million, so most of it, but whatever. And they were testing to show the efficacy and the safety of the vaccine. And it did show that Salk's vaccine uh, caused the inoculated patients to be three times less likely to develop paralytic polio than the children that did not receive the vaccine in the study. So it basically proved, A, it works, and we didn't see any side effects during the whole study. Okay. So it's safe, it's ready to use. So then, in 1955, after the success of the double-blind study, and with national panic still raging over polio, many companies who were already developing the vaccine in anticipation for its release were licensed to issue them. Okay. So they, they kind of already got with some of the vaccine-producing companies and like told them, like, hey, here's how you do it, so get ready. Yeah. And so they licensed some. 
And one of the companies recommended to be given a license was the same company whose vaccine Bernie's Eddie had been using when testing on the monkeys and who had given it polio instead of saving it from polio. Saving it from polio. <laughs> and that was Cutter Laboratories. Now, Cutter Laboratories, the big bad in this story, or maybe, we'll see at the end, was a family-owned pharmaceutical company in Berkeley, California, and it was founded by Edward Ahern Cutter in 1897. And the early productions of this pharmaceutical company included the anthrax vaccine and the hog cholera vaccine. Is that like swine flu? No. No, it's not. Uh, uh, cholera is actually another gut, another uh, entero uh, disease. Like oh. it, it fucks with your stomach. It makes you like shit to death. Oh, literally, that's... unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, because on the Oregon Trail, my people would sometimes yeah. get cholera. It's something that I should... From drinking the river water. That's how you get it. Yeah. Because there's poopy in there. Uh, I shit you not, my microbiology professor in college, who's one of the leading uh, researchers on Lyme disease, literally used the term two bucket disease. And he's like, it's a medical term. And that's a term for when um, it makes you both diarrhea and vomit. Oh, I hate when that happens. So that you have two bucket. You have to have have two buckets, a two bucket disease. Yeah, that's a thing. So actual medical term, probably the funniest medical term I know. I I had the stomach flu last spring right before COVID. Uh Like the week of lockdown. Scared of where this is going. Uh Yeah, literally two bucket situation. Oh, it's so terrible. So the hog collar vaccine. I was shitting and puking at the same time. The hog collar vaccine was the first tissue cultured vaccine so the first time that they used uh tissue to grow the virus in uh and this was early 1900s so way before all this other stuff so then cutter laboratories uh developed into a big player in their sector of pharmaceuticals during the events of world war ii when it got lucrative uh government contracts to uh make penicillin and blood plasma for soldiers so they grew into a much bigger company in their field at that time. And then in 1955, they got the license to circulate the polio vaccine. But the directions sent to them and other manufacturers from Salk were not precise enough. And the company ended up buying a filter to filter the cell debris from because it was also grown in uh, monkey kidney cultures to filter all of the monkey kidney cells out to just leave the virus okay. with a different filter. And they bought one. Uh, that was described as being subpar crafting quality. Okay, so, sorry. They were manufacturing the disease in monkey kidneys. Yes. Then they were filtering the fluid from the kidneys? or so, just fil- So, basically, they don't have an actual kidney. Okay. They, take, they grow cells, monkey kidney uh-huh. cells. Okay. They inoculate these monkey kidney cells with the virus. Okay. What viruses do at their base is that they enter our own cells right. and use their mechanisms to replicate themselves. Okay. So what they do is inject it in there. The monkey cells get the virus, replicate it, make more of the virus, and that's how you get all the virus in the first place to make the vaccine. Okay. And then you have to filter out all of the um, all Oil. of the cell debris from okay. the monkey cells because you just want the virus. And we'll oh, talk, you just want the virus. And we'll talk about that right and now. And so then when they were filtering it, they used the wrong type of filter. Yeah. And they weren't just getting the virus? Yeah, they used a filter of subpar crafting quality, which this is my own speculation, but maybe they just bought what was cheaper, Mm -hmm. you know, because, I mean, they're a company. Well, and and you're also trying to mass produce it. Yeah, and you're trying to mass produce it, and you're trying to do it quick. So you want to do it cheap and fast, which, as we know, quality, not really good if you want it cheap and fast. It doesn't typically go well. Um, 
so yeah, they weren't getting all of the cell debris out of the, I don't even know what you would call it. Yeah. The slurry after you, after you yeah. get everything out, they weren't getting it out and just getting virus. Now, why this is a problem is because when you use the formaldehyde to inactivate the virus, if there's still cell debris in there, um, viral particles can like protect themselves from the formaldehyde by like inserting themselves into the cellular debris. So not all of the virus will get inactivated, Okay, which is exactly what the problem was. There were v- live virus particles still in the vaccine when they shipped it out in the finished product. So they're no longer shipping a vaccine. They're shipping the virus. They're shipping shots of just the actual virus to stick into people. So bad. Now, this is why the monkey that Bernice Eddy, obviously, when she was testing uh, the developed vaccine, that's why they were getting the disease is because they were just injecting Injecting them with with the the causative agent of the disease. So Eddie did report to her superiors uh, that three of the six samples from Cutter Laboratories that they tested on monkeys paralyzed the monkeys. Poor monkey. I've never seen a paralyzed monkey. Uh, Count yourself lucky. Me Uh either. Um, So 50% of the samples that she tried from Cutter Laboratories paralyzed the monkeys. And she told this to uh, William Workman, who was the head of the NIH Laboratory of Biologics Control. So... She caught it, right? She they got she got the vaccine. They tested it on a monkey. She found there's live mm-hmm. there's live disease in this. It's causing the disease in the monkeys when we give it to them. And she told her superior that stopped it, right? Wrong. Womp womp. No. Uh workmen literally just forgot to tell the licensing company that this happened. How do you forget? Uh it said that there was a lot of scientific and bureaucratic like political turmoil going on and that he just didn't he forgot to write up the right papers uh-huh. to give to them yeah but, but it seems like a big oopsie doesn't it and it is a big oopsie yeah, because it's beyond a big oopsie because that was like it's like eight months before this or something that they found that and cutter they don't know that they're produced that's why they send it to someone to quality control it why right. there's these checks and balances and they don't know that this is wrong because it never even gets told back to them oh so now you have 165,000 doses of this tainted vaccine going out into the world in the mass rollout for the polio vaccine. And of those 165,000, 120,000 children were inoculated within two weeks. Oh, my God. And then stories of mysterious polio infections from those who got these doses started rolling in. And by the time that the government finally recalled the cutter vaccine, about two weeks later, already 56 children had developed paralytic polio, of which five were dead. And this led to an epidemic around all of these children anyway, because you got to remember 72% of people are uh, asymptomatic, asymptomatic, but still spread it. So you just gave them the disease. So now they're spreading it to everyone, their families, right? when they go to school, everyone there. And from those indirectly affected from that uh, epidemic, from the people that were uh, inoculated with it, 113 more individuals were paralyzed and five more died for a total of 10 caused that were linked back specifically to this. It's so crazy. And of those 120,000, 40,000 people also just developed abortive polio. So they basically like caused an epidemiological disaster. Yeah. Instead of preventing it, they caused it. By this mistake. It's crazy. Yeah. They did the exact thing. They worsened the exact thing that they were trying to prevent. And this is actually seen as probably the worst failing in pharmaceuticals history uh, ever. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons. 
you know, and now what happened because of this now? I mean, besides all of the death and disease that we've just mentioned, what were the actual fallbacks from from it besides the obvious? Well, the Surgeon General, uh, Scheel, don't know that. That's how you say it. They sent two doctors out from the NIH to inspect Cutter's laboratories in Berkeley, question workers and examine records. And after all that, they did find that Cutter didn't know anything was wrong with their production methods. They thought they were doing everything correct. So a congressional hearing in June 1955, and this all happened in April 1955, so just a couple of months later, yeah. um, concluded that the problem was primarily the lack of scrutiny from the NIH. So it was basically the fact that uh, William Workman knew about the problem, and then didn't, told to him by Eddie, one of his scientists, and didn't do nothing about and it, and just forgot to do it, and now he's literally killed 10 people, um, permanently paralyzed I, I didn't even do this. 113 plus 56, 169 people, you know, it's because crazy. he forgot, you know. Yeah, oops, I forgot. No. So and then the director of the Microbiology Institute lost his job um, and the assistant secretary for health um, and the secretary of health, the uh, Oveta Culp Hobby, who was the secretary of health, education and welfare, stepped down because of it. She was the one overseeing the whole program and dr william h uh sebrell who was the director of the nih also all resigned because of this as well they should yeah they should have you know they're they're also the nih is a governmental organization like and i think that's where it ties back to we talk about corruption in politics a lot and about greed in politics and while this isn't greedy per se you know these are people negligent these are people in the highest positions of office that we can think of for their respective fields and they were still this negligent about something. And I think that's it's what's crazy. really important uh, for us to think. And I, I'm sure that none of these people are you know, not well off. Right. And I think that's why it's important for us to discuss here. Yeah. On white collars, red hands, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that being said, they did end up getting taken to court uh, because later a suit was brought against Cutter Laboratories by the family of one of the victims, uh, Anne Gottstanker. And a jury did find that Cutter Laboratories was uh, financially responsible for what happened to her, although it did say that they were not negligent. So basically they didn't do it on purpose is what the jury ruled. Okay, you... But they were still financially responsible uh, because of something called an implied warranty. Like okay. Basically, like, if you're taking a vaccine, you expect it not to give you the disease. Right. You know? So, yeah, your your product still failed. Like, you still owe them some money. But that being said, uh, they only awarded Gottstanker $125,000. That is not enough. No. And she actually would agree with you because I'm going to play a clip of, of what she said in an interview with the BBC. It's totally unfair compensation. My parents had to do a lot of changing things around at their house. They had to have a ramp put up. All these expenses, they don't stop. Within the last 20 years, I have been in and out of the hospital for about 15 surgeries. My spine, my shoulders, I started having narcolepsy, unable to stay awake, no matter how hard I tried. It turns out that was due to damage to my brainstem. So... That's her talking about she's had all of these expenses incurred and she literally says that this money was barely enough to get her through the time that she graduated college. Oh, I believe that 100 percent. So but everything else that's come after it is also a result of what happened because of this uh, now deemed the cutter incident. It's crazy. Um, But she didn't get enough compensation to actually last her 
through a lifetime through a lifetime of what was caused by them. It's, an, uh, it's frustrating. And now that being said, although it's called the Cutter incident, um, all five manufacturers of the polio vaccine were found to have troubles fully uh, inactivating the virus. It's just it didn't really cause the, quite the extent of infections as the Cutter vaccine did. Right. You know, and three of the companies that in, that's including Cutter uh, were litigated, but the other two settled out of court. So we don't have any official numbers, right. but they did settle with some people that said that, hey, you did this to me. Like you caused me to get the disease when I thought I was getting the vaccine for it. Now, the the good things that happen out of this is that our process for licensure to um, to produce and distribute vaccines is so much more rigorous than it was back then. So this is true. It literally only used to take two and a half hours to get licensed to do this. That's insane. Now it takes up to a year. Good. So like, I think they would just come and like inspect your facility and just be like, yep, you're good. You can do it. But now they, now they inspect like the facility. They inspect like other doses of things. They, they have them make it for a little bit and then rigorously inspect the doses before sending them out, which is not something they did then. They literally like had them made. They were doing some testing on them, but like they were just like, okay, once they were licensed, once they like were like, okay, we can get it out. They're like, go get it out. Come Um, on, guys. And you cannot do that anymore. All right. Uh, and now vaccine producers have to test every single lot to show negative presence of, of viral particles. Good. And it's not just like you have to take a quality control every certain amount of time or whatever. It's literally every single batch you make has to be tested. That wasn't a thing. Can you believe that wasn't a thing? I mean, I guess they didn't. I mean, ugh. there's part of me that's just like, I guess they didn't know any better. But at the same time. Well, like, like I said, we did start with them literally about. 70 years before this, they didn't think germs caused disease. That's true. And I think that's why it's important to talk about the development of biology, at least in this aspect, until we got there to understand the thought process. Yeah. Why they why we even got to this place and why it might be different now. But that that being said, this was now 70 years ago. So the same amount of time has passed from the time that uh, Coke uh, popularized the germ theory of disease to when this vaccine was created from the time that this cutter incident happened to now. And obviously, you guys know this is highly topical. Right yeah, now very. With COVID nineteen and the COVID nineteen vaccine that's coming out, and a lot of the questions that are around that. Yeah. But I can assure you that this is not a story. It's a cautionary tale, but it's not supposed to sway you to not get the vaccine. Yeah, we're not doing this to scare you. Yeah, but it's rather to show you that we have learned from our past mistakes that we grew. From this incident. Right. Uh, and we've grown in the world of microbiology since then. Leaps and bounds. Yeah. And, and the manufacturer of vaccine is so much more precise now than it was in the 50s. And although it doesn't seem like it, the process took a lot longer than Salk's vaccine. The process of creating this uh, COVID-19 vaccine took a lot mm-hmm. longer than Salk's vaccine where he just he did it. They did one big study. And, and that was and it. they were reducing it. And that was less than a year. Yeah. Um, and now it's been, I mean, we've been doing this for a year and they started development on vaccines like last, like last January. So it's Mm -hmm. been over a year and that's with modern technology. So maybe about the same time, but with modern technology, uh, and vaccines as a whole have gotten a lot safer. We've talked about two ways to make a vaccine an attenuated vaccine or an inactivated vaccine today. 
But the leading producer of the COVID-19 vaccines, Pfizer, uses something called an mRNA vaccine. It contains no pieces of viral particles, but actually uses your own cells to produce the molecules that cause the immune response to protect you from the virus in the future. Yep. So you're not, you're not, um, you're not getting injected with the virus. Yeah, you're not exposing your body to the virus at all, but rather we're using RNA technologies um, which I could get into the difference between DNA and RNA. It's way too much for now. You want to talk about that? You can actually, you can message me at whitecollarsredhands.gmail.com and I would love to talk to you about that, um, but we're not going to do it right now. But all you have to know is that you're not getting any virus actually inside of you in this vaccine. So me and Nina both want you to know that we believe, even after all this, that the vaccine for COVID-19 that's being produced right now is safe. Yes. And is effective. And we personally want to urge you to get the vaccine if you have the ability to yeah, do so Yeah, if you're right able now. to do it, get it. And in doing so, you'll help save our world from this virus that has now taken more lives in two years than polio did at its height. Soon, we can return to normalcy, but only if we all band together against a common enemy. That enemy being this COVID-19. virus. COVID-19! Exactly. So, that's a little bit of a somber note, but I, yeah. I want to thank you guys so much uh, for listening today to, once again, our first Fan submitted episode. Yeah. Once again, thanks, Steve. Sh- shout out to Steve from Ohio. You the best. And if you would like us to hear, if you would I like said that us wrong. To hear. If you want to hear us cover your topics in the future, please email your suggestions to us for the third time this episode. Okay. Hold red on, hands hold on, at gmail.com. Hold on. Make sure the topic is close to what we're already talking about. Don't give us, like, hey, guys, talk about how to. Be a dairy farmer. No, make it a white collar crime. Thank you. Yes, obviously give us give a suggestion that is related to um, the subjects that we cover here on the podcast or else well, we're just not going to do it. Or we won't do it. Also, if you like what you hear, uh, please leave a review, especially on iTunes. Uh, our analytics show that 80% of you that are listening are listening right now on iTunes. And uh, we don't nearly have as many uh reviews as listeners we get regularly so please drop by leave us a review we'd love a five-star review but an honest review where we can uh talk to you about what we can improve on is also accepted yeah just don't be mean to me just don't be mean well overly mean yeah you can be a little mean you can you can negger a little bit she's into that yeah but don't like don't be mean for the sake of being mean you know if you tell me my voice sounds like it's reverberating off of a toilet bowl like we were using one mic back then nina okay but still i fair so it's mean. That's gonna be it for this week, uh, and we'll see you on another episode of White Collars, Red, Red Hands. Hands.